As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 89. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Sterling's got it through to Kane now, and Harry Kane has found the net. Well, that didn't take long. Oh, oh, oh. There's McGuire with the corner. There's another one. Unbelievable. Totally at the Euros. Today, Ness and Dorma, this. England 4-0 winners Saturday at the Olympico, looking as composed in Rome as Tosca and Harry Kane looking sweeter than Harry Bow, except he does deliver. Next up for England, it's Denmark in the semis. The Danes who sent the Czechs out with the mailer and his exquisite cross for Dolberg. The Danes, who beat England at Wembley, just lost October. It's totally at the Euros in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Yes, Sunday the 4th of July. Happy 4th of July to American listeners and and very happy 4th of July for England supporters as well because, well, what a performance Saturday night in Rome. With us today, we've got Daniel Storey. Daniel stars himself as the nation's biggest fan of Chicken Kiev, so he had a keen interest in Saturday's clash with Ukraine. Sasha Gurionov, expert on football as an expression of Napoleonic war by other means. Uh, Hello to you both. And also with us... Live from the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, come in, Carl Anker. Hello, Carl. So good. So good. That's my bad Neil Diamond impression. Hello. Hi, Carl. What's going on? Well, it's a very loud stadium announcer telling all the fans they have to leave. Uh, right. Harry Kane's giving a TV interview as we speak. Harry Maguire has just done an interview. Just a lot of happiness and uh, right. a very calm and dignified and respectful uh, claps from Ukraine. Um, as they departed, uh, Shevchenko right. joining in the final round of applause there. 
it was very nice to see them. It's been a magnificent tournament for them in, in many ways, perhaps not the greatest of, of matches or, or performances in, in this quarterfinal against England. We'll, we'll talk about that game very, very shortly, though. Uh, England 4-0 winners Saturday night in the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, Denmark earlier on on Saturday, 2-1 winners against the Czech Republic away in Baku beyond. Hmm. That game report coming up later on. But we begin, of course, with England-Ukraine. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With the corner, there's another one. Jordan Henderson has his first goal for England. And England have their fourth of the night. England 4-0 winners then Saturday night. Daniel Storey, yesterday... Here on the pod, we, we raved over Italy. What would you say then about that England performance? I think it was everything we've wanted to see. It was controlled when it needed to be. It was cautious at times when it needed to be. And it was ruthlessly efficient in attack, which is, is everything we've wanted. It was um, everything that Gareth Southgate touches at the moment seems to turn to gold because he started Jaden Sancho. Sancho was electrifying in the first half. He stuck with Harry Kane, undoubtedly, and Kane has now come good. And everything worked. You know, he he, he picked the players that had been booked. Nobody picked up a booking. And there's, I, I can, I'm kind of giddy with excitement already just thinking about the atmosphere at Wembley on Wednesday. Because in that Croatia game, it wasn't wholly positive at times. But on Wednesday, it really is going to be. It's going to be an absolute celebration, I hope. We, we, we got a little bit of stick for not being giddy enough about England's performance against Germany. Obviously, the result was fantastic. Not all of the 90 minutes, perhaps, were. Uh, Sasha, as a reasonably objective observer, and perhaps factoring in the level of opposition that England faced this evening, how would you rate their performance? Yeah, I'm probably going to get pelters, but um, I didn't think England were that impressive. Maybe they didn't have to be, because of the severely weakened state of the opposition, Yes, I'm going to get the early goal and they're in a good place. Um, but then um, Sergei Krivtsov uh, picks up an injury uh, and has to go off on like 35 minutes. And I think this, this kind of ruins everything that Shevchenko is trying to do at, at this stage. First of all, he's trying to play a 3-5-2, um, which proved more successful in the knockout stages uh, than the 4-1-4-1. Um, and then he has to go back to that 4-1-4-1 formation, um, which isn't what he was planning to do. Um, he's also missing some key players. He's missing Stepanenko. Stepanenko has a long-standing um, knee problem, so he can't play every few days. I think we pretty much knew this when he came after, after the Sweden game. Then I think overall you also have to look at you know why a player is getting injured. So I think he's been pretty unlucky with injuries in this tournament uh, because I mean you have players coming in with long-standing problems like Zubkov and Stepanenko perhaps, and then you have someone like uh, you know Kriptsov just picking up this injury when. They really need everybody to be fit at this stage, and they haven't got a like for like replacement. So, when you have three center backs perhaps having to stand up against Kane, suddenly the biggest ladder is off the pitch, and there is there's basically a huge gap there, which evidently um, is pretty obvious to Southgate and his staff at half time. So, I think his half time team talk is the, one of the easiest of all time, and perhaps one which is so sweet to the English ears because all he has to say is, lads, just stick it in the mixer. And that's exactly what they do uh, in the second half. Three crosses, three goals. So at this stage, I'm not uh, getting giddy. Well, you can only beat the teams in front of you and they're yet can see. We go now to our giddiness correspondent, Karl Anker in Rome. Karl? I think Sasha is, is right to an extent. Uh, Southgate is very much an economist and 
pragmatic in the true sense of the word, and pragmatism is about practicality, not about conservatism, right? So if Ukraine lose a defender isn't particularly, you know, their best defender at set pieces, then why not exploit that weakness? This is how you win international tournaments. Football is a weak link sport, and if there is a new weak link, go for it. That's what you need to do. That isn't England uh, being unconvincing. That's England being the doing the best thing you need to do to win the game ahead of you. This was a quarterfinal that, for, I'd say for maybe 55 minutes, was played at a pace of a Nations League game or a World Cup qualifier. England were, I don't want to say they were cosy, but they were controlled for the majority of the game. I'd say maybe there's a spot from between the 25th minute to half time where Ukraine were seeing a lot of joy explo- exploiting that gap in between Kyle Walker and John Stones. And then Southgate, again, a very pragmatic manager, remedies that by swapping Jaden Sancho and Raheem Sterling, Raheem Sterling dropping deeper, and they are. Then you have a lockout. This is good. This is a good England team. I, I, don't, I don't know how this works. Uh, I don't know which older member of my family to consult about how to deal with this because I don't think this has happened before. When was the last time you... It, I mean, it's a very different game. I'm, I'm thinking about the 5-1 maybe in Berlin. When was the last time, Daniel, you, you enjoyed an England game that much? That, that's what I was thinking about in the final 15 minutes. You know, knockout matches in major tournaments for England. You're meant to stare at that clock in the top left hand of the screen and wonder why it is going at a third of the speed that it normally does while your heart beats at three times the speed to make up for it. And we just didn't have that tonight. It was it was an absolute absence of jeopardy, which is everything I want from an England team. You know, there, there are times where you can get off your seat and cheer and you can be fraught with nerves and you can enjoy those nerves in hindsight. Tonight wasn't about that. Tonight was absolute ruthless efficiency. And it was just, it was about kind of enjoying the opposite of jeopardy, just enjoying this kind of blissful progression to what is, let's face it, is a situation that England are not meant to be in. You know, we are not a side that serenely progresses to semi-finals of tournaments. We did it in 2018 and we needed a penalty shootout. It isn't meant to be this way. Yes, we face some reasonably uh, gentle or comparatively gentle opponents can, uh, according to our pre-tournament expectations, but stuff that, you know, England have ruined these these nights before. And yeah, they still haven't conceded a goal. The, sec- the second team in history to have not conceded a goal in the first five matches of a major tournament, that's Euros or World Cup. And that is that is remarkable from where our pre-tournament expectations were. Well, it's it's the second semi-final at a major tournament in a row. Of course, last time at the World Cup three years ago, it felt like a bit of a reality check for England when it when it came. Is this time different? Do you think, Carl? Is this is this England going to get a wake up? Am call? I allowed to sneak in the 2019 Nations League as a semi-final as well? Ah, yeah. Is that a major point. tournament? I did say <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but no, yeah, it is a major, surely. I'm going. I'm going to try and sneak it in and see what happens there. In terms of different, I was born in 1991, and I have had the idyllic childlike view of "Come on, England!" Uh, for France in '98 and the World Cup 2002 and 2004. I need to be reduced to tears when I've been hit with the reality of the fact that England were C plus B minus international football team. No one did a fundraiser for you. No, unfortunately, on. not. Not even when Suarez. The handball for Ghana too. I was quite sad there as well. Um, and I'd say th- this this England team aren't mediocre. This is an England team that has oh, but that that one area of the field needs to be improved upon. This is a manager that has got a, a team of atta- fantastic footballing resources to buy into his plan. And yes, this plan 
is pragmatic and can sometimes not be the most thrilling game. You know, there are parts where you watch an England game and you do just start scrolling your phone, but that's because Southgate thinks this is the best way to win football games. And five clean sheets, they're probably one of the stronger teams left in this tournament that isn't Italy. It's working. They will be pushed hard by Denmark at Wembley and it will be up to Southgate and a number of the senior members of that team to say, don't get carried away. But also, I don't think this England team has come this far to only get this far and greatness awaits. It's within sight. So I think that will be the overwhelming statement. I'll go for it. Do you think Southgate has been challenged in this tournament so far? So this is a very interesting thing about Gareth Southgate in that I think throughout his tenure, he hasn't really had to chase a game. These England teams, both in the 2018 World Cup and in Euro 2020, have rarely been behind for too long, I'd say. I mean, Croatia got their winning goal in extra time in the semi-final. And then other than that, the, the game against the Netherlands in the Nations League, that was another one that you know England were ahead and then Netherlands had to come forward again. So I'm pulling a face here. We saw in the three group stage games, England started quickly and they hit the woodwork. And then you saw them get the goal against Germany and then they started quickly against Ukraine. So if they can get that first goal, there is no reason to fear. I haven't seen this England team go down in the first half yet. Uh, and I'm going to stop talking now before I really start worrying about what Damsgaard can do. One thing I would say is he might not have necessarily been challenged in those match situations, but um, you can't overlook just how much he's been doubted by a section of England support, which I, I think is probably bigger than I originally assumed. I don't think it's just a social media thing. I think there are a number of England supporters who are worried that he isn't the right man for the job, partly because he, he slightly fell into it in the first place uh, and partly because he doesn't have any huge pedigree at club level. Um, but every call he's made has been a big one. You know, that it was said in the coverage before the game, and I think it's spot on, is that there is a difference between um, courage and uh, conservatism in that he just because he he is sold as a defensive manager does not mean he is not brave. He's got an incredible kind of resilience of opinion, which is, I think this is the best way to play. And quite frankly, I don't care for your public um, like core celebra number one, whether it's Jack Grealish, whether it's Jaden Sancho, whether it's dropping Raheem Sterling, whether it's whatever. He doesn't seem to buy into that. And that is a courage in itself. And on those calls, he has been vindicated, which is is a good thing. I agree that we haven't been behind often, but quite frankly, in this tournament, that's because we've defended really well. Mm. Well, this was such a, a memorable evening for England supporters. Let's just go through the, the four goals one by one. Carl, kick it off for us. You had taken your seat, had you, when Sterling put that wonderful ball through for Kane to, to open the scoring? Yes, yes, I was firmly seated and, and agog. Uh, England starting so quickly. Uh, I'm here with Jack Pickbrook in Rome and uh, he tweeted about how this partnership between Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane might be one of the most effective partnerships England have had since basically cheering Sheringham. It is a very modern interpretation of the big man, little man. And they, they just get along so well. It was a fantastic first time finish with Kane. And I'm sure many people will be using the older ketchup bottle analogy to describe his form now. Mm. Uh, you have to wonder as well how Sun Hyung-min is feeling right now. Difficult times for the... The South Korean. Uh, Kane's numbers are extraordinary. Is it 36 now in 59 for England? Sterling equally has been involved in, I think, all but one 
of England's goals so far at this tournament. The stat was doing the rounds that England at the Euros have lost, either in normal time or on penalties, in all previous five Euro matches in which they'd scored in the opening five minutes. Iceland would be one example back in 2016. Not this time, because game management. Because, once again, they came flying out the blocks at the start of the second half. Daniel? Yeah, they did. Uh, And the set-pieces thing in the World Cup 2018 almost kind of became the defining part of England's attacking play you know whether it was the the love train of how they they attack corners or Kieran Trippier's pre-kick delivery and and indeed free-kick shooting but it hasn't really happened in this tournament yet until tonight and it was a brilliant ball from Luke Shaw who is having a, a fabulous fabulous tournament I mean after Raheem Sterling I think he's probably been England's best player in this tournament uh, and just looks another really confident young man and confident on set pieces, which is not really what I associate him with. But it was a brilliant ball for for Maguire, and there are no finer sights than Harry Maguire running onto a ball to bullet header it back into the back of a net. And uh, my only slight, and I don't want to put a down on this, my only slight issue is as a fan of a championship club. I don't have to get involved in the panic of VAR. And for neither of England's first two goals was I able to celebrate properly because I was just shouting, just wait for the replay, wait for the replay. And and that one was, to be fair, pretty close, the Maguire one. Right, we're almost straight afterwards then, Sasha. It was Shaw again with the cross and this time for Harry Kane. And the third goal um, came from Sterling picking up the ball uh, against Sterling involved. Sterling doubted uh, prior to this tournament, um, much like Shaw, much like um, Southgate, uh, playing it out to Shaw, who put it um, uh, on Kane's head. Kane attacking uh, Matvienko again um, in um, in central defence where Kriftsov should be and uh, putting the game uh, beyond Ukraine at that stage. Mm. Scoring's not over though, Carl, is it? Henderson. Oh, that was authoritative. Fantastic corner from, from Mason Mount. A bit of the love train or the billiard ball spread from England. And I really enjoyed Henderson's celebration where he sort of runs towards the corner and as England teammates try and grab him, he pushes them off so he can continue swearing to absolutely no one in particular. Good for him. Good for him indeed. All right, Magnificent Carl, I know you need to get off and do mix zone things. So uh, have a great time down there. What a night to be alive. What a night to be in Rome. I know. Oh. I know. People keep telling me I need to uh, go to a coffee shop and replicate some of your old Gazette del Sport poses, so I'll try and do that. Those days are I'll try and do that before I depart tomorrow morning. (laughs) Karl Anker at the Stadio Olimpico. Wow. 4-0 then. If it had been 5-0 with that volleyed attempt from Kane, eh? I mean, Alan Shearer said something at the start, after the Croatia game when, when Kane was poor is that he said Kane's this kind of mentality monster in that he doesn't he's one of those strikers that doesn't necessarily worry about scoring goals he will always continue to take shots and get into the positions when they arrive I mean if he was lacking any confidence spanking a volley with your weaker foot from 25 yards I, I so wish that goal had gone in uh, it's not a night for regrets but I so wish that goal had gone in all right. A word on Jaden Sancho, who's been in the news a lot this week and made his first start here on Saturday evening. What, what did you think, Sasha? I think he very much provided the balance to that attack. He didn't, I mean, he let the other guys shine. Perhaps that's understandable given that the other guys have been, especially Sterling, has been more prominent, um, perhaps Mount less so. Uh, but I think at this stage, everyone was just um, kind of waiting for Sancho to get a start. And uh, there he gets his start after his move to Man United, as has been pointed out before. 
I wanted to also just give a, a another mention for Raheem Sterling, who who spoke brilliantly to to both BBC and ITV in the build up to this game about the frustration he feels at undue criticism from from media and supporters. And I was just flicking through Twitter after the game, and I saw he's a new favourite to win the Player of the Tournament, and we are just about to start the semi final stage, which is just about the best sporting news I think I could have imagined for for 2021 uh I I respect Raheem Sterling I love Raheem Sterling um but it's not about that it's about the fact that his football is completely speaking for itself and I thought he was probably England's best player maybe pipped by Luke Shaw tonight but just brilliant again excellent well absence of jeopardy for Daniel and England fans in general watching Saturday night's game is that going to be the case on Wednesday when they face Denmark. We'll be talking about them next. The Euros are here, and we'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, uh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. <laughs> if the grass is greener on the other side, Come and play on it. If your book is not giving you the best rewards, switch. And if one leg of your four plus fold bet builder lets you down, get money back as a free bet on all games this Euros. Paddy Power. Pretty much only max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Minods 1 to 5 are on exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus pick Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. What's this? England have scored 10 headed goals at the World Cup in Euro since the start of the 2018 World Cup. No other nation has scored more than four headers in that time. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. All right, well, England fans currently dreaming of a final at Wembley with either Italy or Spain. Before that, they got the semi-final with Denmark. Denmark, who were 2-1 winners Saturday afternoon over Czech Republic. Another early goal in this one, five minutes in, it was Thomas Delaney. Unmarked from a corner, thanks to excellent work from Simon Kjær. A corner that potentially maybe shouldn't have been awarded, but anyway, it was. And he put it away with Ilan. The second goal for Denmark, an absolute peach, whacking Mailer. Uh, with probably the cross of the tournament so far, Kasper Dolberg volleying it in. Denmark, 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 Denmark,
og det er simpelthen fuldstændig fantastisk, at Joachim Mæle, der går i dybden og slår et ydersideindlæg med højre foden, og så havner den ind hos Wonderboy Kasper Dolberg. After this, though, in the second half, Denmark looked a little bit more beatable than they had done in recent matches. The Czechs producing a flurry of chances, one of which Patrick Schick put away for his fifth of the tournament, putting him level in the golden boot race with Cristiano, who, like him, is out of the competition. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, did, did that give you heart, Daniel, in the second half that Denmark can be got at? Yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of Denmark in that they're obviously, you know, the, the, there's the very obvious narrative about the kind of regalvanization after the um, the horrible incident with Christian Eriksen, which tended or threatened to kind of overlook the quality of the team. And then now I wonder if people are maybe going a little bit too far on the quality of the team and that, you know, they have only beaten a Russia side who who weren't really up to much, a Welsh side who kind of collapsed in the second half, and then a Czech team who who by the end of it looked so tired. Um, I think they were just. I think one of the themes of this tournament has been normally in the knockout stages things kind of tense up a bit. Actually, I think they've been really open in this tournament, which is brilliant. But I think it also means that teams are kind of really tired now. I think, and I. Look, I don't want to jinx anything, but I don't think I'm not quite convinced that Denmark are potential tournament winners yet. Simply because I think they've played well in well in spells and clearly used the the, the emotional fuel to in that game against uh, Russia. But I don't know. I think they look really ordinary second half. I have to say, mm-hmm. they have scored eleven times now at this tournament. Only Spain have uh, found the net more often. Sasha. Yeah, I think um, today Denmark uh, showed us that England perhaps won't be able to do against Denmark what they did against uh, Ukraine because second half, uh, Czech Republic went with two up top. And for five minutes, they battered Denmark, uh, but just sticking it in the mixer to two big men. Eventually, Vestergaard stepped slightly up. And then on uh, 60 minutes, they actually changed the formation to 3-5-2 th- to and shut the game down. So I think, A, they did well in the air. And then, B, again, you can see... Yulman um, reacting within the game to what was happening. Um, perhaps Denmark were caught a little bit cold for those five minutes in the second half, but then by the end, I thought they were just uh, pretty much managing the game. Um, and again, I actually f- found quite a lot to like about Denmark in this game because they get the early goal. I mean, they scored a header, which is kind of unexpected against Czech Republic because that's what Czech Republic do. And then they just uh, and then they just sit there uh, in peace because Czech Republic have to play and Czech Republic can't really play. And again, they go along, but they don't have to men up front. So they pretty much waste the first half. I mean, they Schmeichel tries to give a winning goal, but then he recovers. And then Schick is completely anonymous. And, you know, Schick might be the son of confectioners, but it was actually Dolberg who got the sweetie at the end of the first half because uh, the ball that Mele plays across with the outside of his foot. It's known as a caramelo in Spanish, so which means a sweetie. And I thought that was just generally a really brilliant, sweet moment of football because you could see as Dolberg volleys, like side foots it in, he almost like does a knee slide in the same motion into the goal mouth. It's just like glorious. And you, at that stage, you do think um, it's game over. And yet Czech Republic react, Denmark react. They progress, I think, in the end without any trouble. And what I really liked as well, again, 80-odd minutes on the clock, Mele pops up and he should really make it 3-1. And this is third consecutive game he does that. They they kind of switch him on to deliver the coup de grace. He's unable to do it today, but I thought overall Denmark pretty impressive. It's a shame, though, that they won't be able to bring any fans to Wembley from abroad, but apparently there's 5,000 tickets available for the Danes um, based in the UK. And, of course, 
for the Danes, a game at Wembley against England is massive because in 1983, this is where the phenomenon of a big, happy traveling Danish support started. So, Roligans, they, Rolig, I think, means like something means like something nice or something like that. So, like they're nice, a pun on like nice hooligans. But 15,000 of them turned up in 1983 and they won 1 0 and then eventually they qualified for the 84 tournament, which they also reached the semi final. So, I think there's quite a lot in play here for Denmark and I think they perhaps are, do have a feeling of a team on a mission. And uh, I appreciate the you know the sentiment about Ericsson, but I think there was something to it to Denmark before this. I mean, as poor old Russians, we've seen this in the under 21s, where their under 21s were incredibly mature, incredibly flexible, incredibly skillful. And there is one thing that they showed at that level, and also that this senior team has. I don't know quite what the word is, but it's an aggression for goal. So as mm. soon as they sniff that there's an opportunity, they go for it. And they perhaps didn't have to do it against the Czechs today, but we're certain certainly previous two games. So I think they will be extremely dangerous opponents for England. Okay, well, we don't have to go too far back in the history books to find examples of them being dangerous for England because although England have the momentum, it was the Danes who came to Wembley and beat England 1-0 there just last October, Daniel. Having previously drawn 0-0 in what was described as a dreary deadlock with England back in Copenhagen. Uh, yeah, how much for concern is that, Daniel? Yeah, Dem, I mean... <laughs> They are a good side. Um, Christian Eriksen was good that night and scored the penalty against England to win at Wembley, we should say. Um, I just think if you compare the atmosphere to that Nations League game at Wembley and to what the atmosphere will be like on Wednesday evening, um, I just think it will be absolutely electric. I think it will be like nothing we have seen at Wembley since Euro 96. And um, that's not to say that there aren't inherent issues with that in that players uh, particularly young players can get a little bit overawed by it but every single interview you hear with these players I know it's cliche but they are so determined to say hang on a minute you know we're not looking forward to semis or final we're going to win the game we're focused on the game and we're going to we're going to we're going to make sure we produce everything we're meant to on that occasion and then we'll move forward and they're not just saying it but they are actually proving it as well and look Denmark have got this far because they're a good side. I don't think they've beaten any any brilliant sides yet, but you could probably argue the same about England, given how poor Germany have been. Um, but England will be favourites, and I think rightly so. We should talk about the venue briefly before we before we move on to other things. The venue for the uh, Denmark-Czech Republic game on Saturday night played out in Baku. Uh, Colin Miller, with uh, one of his typically excellent uh, takes on football, says playing a huge game between Denmark and Czech Republic at a venue technically not even in Europe in boiling hot conditions, surrounded by a running track, in front of empty stands and in a human rights abusing nation is peak UEFA, people who don't actually like football and who hold fans in contempt. I'm sure UEFA would say that they do like football, but it's certainly hard to argue with that last part when you hold this match what 2000 miles away i think from either of these two nations in a in a land that at the best of times as we saw previously with chelsea and arsenal is pretty difficult to get to and this time unbelievably so yeah and there were only 10,000 people in the stadium uh, the thing that annoyed me the most uh was uh you saw denmark fans having rainbow colored banners and flags taken off them by security in the stadium which is I mean, if, if the UEFA's actions towards that display of pride hadn't been dismal enough in this tournament, that kind of puts the cherry on a particularly foul-tasting cake because 
um, how they can promote this message, you know, equality for all with a straight face when it comes with the caveats that if it's in a stadium that we feel it's appropriate for them not to be displayed in, that's what will happen. It's just a farce. Um, but yes, so is so is holding a game in Baku. I, I said on the last show I was on, I, it's one thing having group games there and making teams travel thousands of miles. It's another doing it in a knockout game when you fans can't go. I think they're a pocket of a, a couple of hundred Czech supporters and, and a thousand Danes, which for a game of that magnitude in a stadium of with that capacity is just nonsensical. Might be worth pointing out that uh, for the semi-finals, the Danes can't actually come, not even a thousand of them. But as, as I mentioned on one of the um, one of the earlier pods, uh, when uh, you know talking about the um, accreditation shenanigans, um, when you have eleven nations, and some of them are very different nations, uh, this is where UEFA needs to perhaps set certain standards, and it would be, I think, I think from from UEFA's point of view, they they made it difficult for themselves to be consistent. Mm. All right. Well, semi-finals thankfully uh, are not going to be in Baku. They'll both be at Wembley. By the way, if you're curious about why so many matches are at Wembley, it all dates back to 2017 when uh, Belgium, who were due to be hosting four of these uh, matches from the uh, Euro 2020 extravaganza, were effectively ruled out of, of of their hosting rights. So those those games just went straight to Wembley, all of them. So Tuesday night, it'll be Spain against Italy. Uh, Italy on a 32-game unbeaten run at the moment. Only one nation has ever had a better run than that. Do you know who it was? Spain. Spain, Spain, of course. 2007 to 2009, they got to 35 matches without defeat. Huge match that anyway, Tuesday night. Of course, we'll have immediate reaction, which will be with you immediately about seven hours later on Wednesday morning. This show isn't over, though. Uh, Still to come, we're going to be looking at on this day, 4th of July, in Euro's history. Ooh, it's a special one. First, though, let's hear more odds from Paddy Power, courtesy of producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. I'm on the line with Carl Moynihan from Paddy Power. Carl, we're taking a couple of days off, like the football itself. So this is our chance to look ahead early doors to Italy versus Spain on Tuesday night. Um, give us the overall for this one, please. I'm also interested in the first goal scorer markets. I also think there's going to be a red card. What say you? Well, Ben, Italy are six to four, Spain two to one, and the draw is two to one. What a mouth-watering semi-final we have in store this Tuesday at Wembley, listeners. Between these two, the Azzurri are the second outright favourites for the tournament and look well on hand to bulldoze their way to the final next Sunday. The Spanish masseuse will be working overtime. Remember, as Luis Enrique's men were involved in extra time in both their last couple of knockout games, that is sure to be taxing on the legs of Mancini's men. Buoyed by their win over Belgium and Munich, looks set to pounce and gain revenge, sweet revenge, for the Euro 2012 final that saw an Iniesta-inspired Spain break Italian hearts with a 4-0 win. In terms of a first goal scorer in this one, how about Lorenzo Insigne? The Napoli attacker loves to float in from the left-hand side onto his wand of a right foot and shoot. He already has goals against Turkey and Belgium to his name and that 8-1 will be very popular. One man who may be a danger to the Italian defence, though, is Alvaro Morata. The Spanish striker has a couple of goals to his name so far in the tournament, and after his successful stint in Serie A with the Juventus, he'll quietly fancy himself to score. He's a 6-1 to one shot in the first goal score market. Also, Ben, we have four players who were involved in the 2012 final. Chiellini, Bonucci, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. 
So that'll bring some extra spice to this meatball of a clash. Mamma Mia, a red card in this game is 3-1. to one. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Find a bookie who loves you right back as much as Gareth loves right backs. Place a four-plus-fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate's squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. A subscription with The Athletic is how much? That's right, just £1 a month, listener for you, for your first six months. Uh, And for that you get unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020, all the articles, all the podcasts ad-free and Q&As with writers, all that kind of thing. And of course, continuing into the new season as well. Head to theathletic.com slash totally. Now. Yesterday, we didn't do it on this day, uh, but today we are going to. 4th of July. Do you know what that's the anniversary of, Daniel? Uh, Will Smith beating the aliens. Exactly. Yeah, one of the biggest turnovers in in history, football or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Not the only you know major event that's taking place on the 4th of July. You also had England-West Germany in uh, Italia 90. Mm. Of course, there was still West Germany then. Extraordinary. Yep. Paul Gascoigne, Gazer in tears, all that stuff, the penalties. Right. Equally momentous, 4th of July, 1999. Do you know what happened that day, Sasha? Listener? 99. Yeah. Okay, the venue was Dublin at a castle. Posh Spice marrying Bex. And the world <laughs> would never be the same again. I'm so glad you didn't get that, Sash. <laughs> 4th of July, 2004, and this might just be the biggest of all. One of the biggest upsets in international football history. Listener, you look a bit too young to remember this, but Greece beat Portugal in the final of Euro 2004. Now, to put this into perspective, Portugal, uh, managed by big Phil Scolari, had an incredible team. They had Rick Costa, they had Luis Figo, they had a young Cristiano Ronaldo. And they were the host nation as well. They were the team of destiny. Greece, their presence in the tournament was something like that taxi driver who once got put on BBC News and interviewed by accident. 
However, they started the campaign with a win over Portugal, to everyone's surprise, and then, lo, they did it again in the final after playing some of the most stultifying football ever seen in between, courtesy of this Angelos Caristeas header. There you go, that was their only shot on target in the final. It was the only goal. And the game ended with a 19-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo in tears. Hmm. Captain of Greece, Theo Zagorakis, finished fifth in the Ballon d'Or voting later that year. Can you believe it? Wait, do you remember, the, Daniel, uh, that game, where you were, etc.? I was, I was uh, in Kos uh, on ha. a slightly raucous uh, gentleman's holiday uh, at the age of how old have I been? Uh, 70, 18. Oh, my word. Um, and, I, I mean... You hear quite a lot of motorbikes beeping their horns and costs at the best of times, but it, it, I mean, it went on for about 36 hours. It was just a constant <laughs> beeping and celebrating. It was fun, but it was also, um, yeah, it wasn't sleep-inducing. Where did you watch the game? Just in a bar, I think, um, on the seafront. Um, yeah, I mean, it was obviously it was a brilliant, brilliant atmosphere because we had gone out, I think, uh, this was really towards the end of the holiday and we'd gone out before the semi-finals. So we assumed that they wouldn't be in the final and we certainly assumed they wouldn't win it. So it was it was brilliant, but it was also loud, repeatedly loud. Mm. Sasha, where were you? I was in Munich uh, in an Australian bar. Uh, there were some Greeks there, some Portuguese, and I decided to make myself the biggest Greece fan alive, which of course must have been irritating to everybody else there, but I had a lovely time. And... We, we went to Munich, it's just like a long weekend. And from that point onwards, we went to Munich every two years for quite a while for the big tournaments, just to watch the tournaments there. I mean, we were there mm. for the 2006 World Cup because it's just a place which is very inducive to watching uh, football on big screen with beers. It's fantastic. I recommend mm. it to anybody. All right, Munich, who'd have thought? Following Euros, Greece lost all three of their group games and crashed out at the group stage. But, you know, they'll always have Portugal 2004. Excellent. What a lovely slice of on this day at the Euros that was. And that brings us to the end of today's extra special cutout and keep England's souvenir totally at the Euros. We will be back on Wednesday morning with the reaction to Italy, Spain, and of course, looking forward to England, Denmark. In the meantime, many, many thanks to Carl Anker for his participation earlier on, to Daniel and Sasha and to producer Charlie. And you, listener, have a great time to we're with you again from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at the Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.